One of the uh, unfortunate things I think that has happened in uh, Christianity these days is that Christianity has become a soundbite faith. It's become a soundbite faith. I mean, it's to the point where either in emails or church marquees and sometimes in verbal conversation we have resorted to a soundbite faith. Hey, get right or get left. Hey, seven weeks without prayer, seven days without prayer makes one W-E-A-K. No Jesus or no Jesus. Now, there are always some truth in the sound bites, but I will tell you that the sound bites are more offensive than they are productive. And so by our sound bites, we have turned more people off than we have turned on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when, when are we going to finally get it that you reach people by loving people? It's by loving people. It, and, and you know what? It's harder to do that. In a minute, I'm going to read uh, a few verses from Ruth chapter 3 and also a few verses from Ruth chapter 4. Uh, before I do that, I want to ask you uh, this question. H has your life turned out exactly as you hoped or expected that it would have turned out just a few years ago? Now, think about that question. Has your life turned out exactly as you had hoped that it would or expected that it would? Now, some of the folks in our services this morning will answer, well, yeah, it really has. It's turned out exactly as I hoped, exactly as I expected. But there will be a lot of us, and I'll just throw myself in this latter pot, there will be some of us this morning who will say, no, I really can't say that it has. Life has not turned out exactly as I had hoped or as I expected that it would just a few years ago. How about your Christian life? Has your Christian life turned out exactly as you had hoped? After all, you know, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, uh, your life's going to, it's going to, you're going to, your job's going to get better, your marriage's going to get better, your kid's going to get better, right? Hello? Not necessarily. Sometimes, thank the Lord, that does happen, but sometimes, quite often, that's not the way it happens. And so, for me, this series, it's only a five-part series, four Sunday mornings and one Sunday night. This series is personal to me. Because just to be very honest with you, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, I'm sick of soundbite Christianity. I'm sick of it. If, 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 if Christianity can't be delivered in a real package, brother, I don't want it. And, and the thing about it is, it can be. Jesus was real. Jesus didn't hang out with the right-wingers. He hung out with the tax collectors and the drunkards. And the folks that you kind of would bristle if you saw them coming to church today, those are the ones he hung out with. Jesus was real. Not only that, I looked through the whole Bible, and the whole Bible is real. Where in the world did we get so far away from the Bible that we left the precious Word of God for sound bites? The book of Ruth is a very precious book 
to me because I believe in this book we see a God who's real. We see two women, an older woman and a younger woman, her daughter-in-law, and they're real. They're living real lives and they are struggling even though they are people of faith. Let me catch you up on the story. Naomi and Elimelech live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a town whose name means house of bread, but there's no bread in the house of bread. Chapter 1 says there's a famine in the land, and they and their two boys, Malan and Kilian, leave Bethlehem, and they go across the Dead Sea into the land of Moab. Things don't get much better. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. Then her two boys marry not Jewish women like the law tells them to do, but they marry Moabite women who don't worship the same God of Israel. And they live together about 10 years. They don't have children, which could be a crisis in and of itself that is kind of left silent by the text. And then after 10 years of marriage, both Malan and Killian inexplicably die, leaving Naomi with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. One of those daughters-in-law, Ruth, decides to leave with, with Naomi and go back to Bethlehem. And when she comes back, she has been so stressed that the ladies of Bethlehem, when they see her, they start a discussion. Well, it looks like Naomi, but I'm not sure if it's Naomi. Well, it kind of looks like her. Well, it's been a while. Is that her? And Naomi says, don't even call me Naomi, call me Mara, which is the Hebrew word for bitter. My life is bitter. I left you a few years ago full. But I come back empty, I have nothing. Ruth gets a job. She gets a job working in a wheat field. Can you picture it? All day long, she's a woman working in a wheat field from sunup until dark 30. Do you picture it? Do you feel like there's something wrong with the picture? I do. She's working all day long in the field. And what is she doing in the field? Her job is to pick up the leftover wheat that's left by the primary harvesters. She's in the welfare program in Judea. While she's there, she doesn't realize it, but the field she's decided to work in belongs to a fellow by the name of Boaz. She comes home and tells Naomi, well, I worked in a field today. Well, whose field was it? Boaz. His name was Boaz. She said, well, we're related to him. And so Naomi starts a matchmaking service. She says, I'm going to match up Ruth with Boaz. It's a great plan. But a glitch comes up. The title of this message is Glitch. Ruth chapter 3, verse 7. Ruth chapter 3, verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth. Well, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman Redeemer. Now let me just stop right there. In Israel there was a law, you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25. It says that if a man is married to a woman and the man dies, his brother can take that woman as his wife and the first child that they conceive will be, will be given the name of the deceased brother, the brother who died. 
Now that word brother in Hebrew can be translated relative. And so the, by the time you get to Naomi and Ruth's day, it was not only brothers who could be included in this marriage law, but it was nearest relative. In this case, Boaz was a cousin. You are kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. That tells you Boaz must have been an older fellow. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, and here's the glitch, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. All right, skip to chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her brother, our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people if you will redeem it do so but if if you will not tell me so I will know for no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line well I will redeem it the man said then Boaz said on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property at this, the kinsman redeemer says, well, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. Now, how about that? You don't have to sign a contract. You don't have to shake a hand. Just exchange a sandal. I've seen some of your shoes. This is the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. In chapter 3, Naomi tries to match up Ruth with Boaz. Because in the law of Moses, there is a law that allows Ruth, a widow, to be married to the next of kin to Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband if and this person is called a kinsman redeemer if he agrees to do it Ruth has no choice but to do it now the men can choose whether that whether or not they want to but Ruth would have no choice it's a good thing because in this case Ruth has taken a liking to Boaz and she doesn't mind being married to him evidently there is a problem Boaz is not the nearest relative a glitch has come up in Naomi's plan. You ever had a plan for your life? You think your life is going in a certain direction? Maybe a, a, a general outline of your life, you have pretty much planned or, or, or chiseled in some 
soft stone in your mind, you have an idea of where you're going, and all of a sudden, as you're, you're traveling down that road that is your life, a glitch comes up, and all of a sudden, from that point on, what you thought was your plan has been changed. Naomi had a glitch, and her story, I believe, mirrors our own. Listen, if you have been led to believe, and, and I hope you haven't been led to believe this, but if you have been led to believe that the Christian life is glitch-free, my friend, you've been sold a bag of goods. Because the Christian life, rather than being glitch-free, I found that it is glitch-filled. And I think it's time that we told that. I think it's time that we owned up to that. If you and I think that the Christian life is easy living and easy walking, we have bought into the wrong Jesus story. We are reading the wrong Bible. The Christian life is not easy. There are three real world truths from this story in, this, in these two chapters that I want to share with you. The first one is that God's plan often includes glitches. Now, what is a glitch? It's a computer term. I don't know that much about computers. I know how to turn one on. I know how to work Microsoft Word and Excel, and I know how to get on the Internet, and that's about all Jimmy Orr knows. It's about all I need to know. But occasionally, I have been on a computer, and something happened to it that I didn't do. And I would call somebody, and they said, well, you've had a glitch. Well, what's a glitch? A glitch is an unexpected problem in either the software or the hardware of the computer that results in you changing what you had planned to do or results in a delay in what you thought you were going to do. Sometimes you just have to sit there and wait for the computer to work it out. There is no waiting. Outside of hospital room, uh, waiting room waiting, there is no waiting that's worse than waiting for a computer to fix itself. How many of you have been in that situation? Yeah. Sometimes you have to turn the computer off. How many of you have ever had a computer freeze on you because of a glitch? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever cussed it? No, don't even, don't even go there. You had to turn the computer off. They call it reboot it. You turn it off, and then you have to restart it, and it comes back up. And somehow, while you're waiting for it to come up, it, it reconfigures everything and fixes everything. Recently, uh, one of our computers here in the office, somehow an, a, a virus came into that computer, attacked that computer, and we tried to kill the virus. We couldn't kill the virus, so we tried to download uh, an update to our antivirus program. The virus would not allow us to, to uh, access the Internet unless it accessed some terrible stuff. And we ended up having to trash the computer. It was a, an unexpected problem. It was a glitch. Now, in real life, a glitch, is an, uh, like in computers, is an unexpected problem. You're going down a certain way, a certain road, and it's a road that you plan to go down. Maybe you have, you have set the course. You and God together kind of set the course. Maybe God through you has set the course. But you come to a certain point, and an unexpected problem arises, and it, and it affects everything that you do. A lot of people in the Bible had glitches. Joseph, from chapter, Genesis chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50, Joseph. He was a brother, one of uh, uh, 12 brothers. 
And one day his brothers are out, they're tending some sheep. They don't like him because he's a little bit of a braggart. He, he ran his mouth when he should have been listening. But all in all, he was a pretty good guy. He goes out to see his brothers. They see him and they are so irritated by Joseph that they say, let's kill him. And one of them says, no, let's not kill him. Uh, let's make it look like he's been killed, but let's kind of just throw him in a pit. And then another one says, well, yeah, let's do that, but then let's sell him to a caravan that's headed toward Egypt because we don't want him anywhere around. Now, Joseph is minding his own business. He's coming to check on his brothers, and, and unbeknownst to him, they take him, they smear him in animal blood, and they throw him in a pit. They take the, the coat that his dad had given him, smear that in animal, animal blood to bring back to their dad. And then later on, he is pulled out of the pit and sold to a caravan into slavery in Egypt. And he's there for 13 years. Spends part of that time in prison. I'm telling you, Joseph did not have that 13-year detour on his docket. There was a glitch in his life. Job, I'll tell you, the book of Job is one of the most comforting and confusing books all at the same time to me. Here is Job. The Bible even says he is a perfect, upright man, the most perfect and upright man, man of all the men in the East. God even says in a conversation to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? There's nobody like him. And yet, in a single day, he loses all ten of his children, three, uh, seven boys, three girls. He loses all of his uh, thousands upon thousands of uh, herds and flocks of animals. He loses all but just a handful of his employees, only the employees that managed to escape tragedy and come back to tell him that it's happened. And all of this happens within the span of just a day or two. I have talked with parents who have lost their children. I have yet to find one who had planned on it. People in the Bible experienced glitches. Moses, he spent the first 40 years of his life in Egypt, living in the palace of Pharaoh. He kills a man and as a result thinks that he, people are after him and the authorities are after him. So he leaves Egypt as a fugitive, goes out into the uh, Arabian desert. And he stays there for the next 40 years of his life. Toward the end of that second 40-year period, he is, uh, he's up on a mountain and he's tending his father-in-law's sheep and he sees a bush. Now picture the bush. You, you know where I'm going. He sees a bush. Let's say this is a bush. Let's say that Ella Jean's rose there is a bush. And that bush is on fire. But the rose and the green foliage is not going away. It's not even wilting. It's not even turning black. It's not even looking gray or smoky. It's still there. Moses sees it. And God speaks out of that burning bush. And he says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. Don't want to go. I want you to go back to Egypt. I can't even talk. I'll be your voice. I don't want to go. I don't even know your name. Tell him I am. Tell him I am has sent you. Moses, listen, on his plan, on his calendar, there was never a day that said, want to go back to Egypt on this day. Not a single place. And yet, there was a glitch that came in his plans. His plans had to change. The Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. 
He set about to kill Christians. He thought it was a God thing. He thought God was telling him to do it. He thought he was doing the work of God. He, was, he, 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 he consented to the stoning of the new deacon, newly ordained deacon Stephen. And now he's going about with a letters of authority. He has legal power to go and kill Christians and destroy Christian churches. He's on the, the interstate on the way to Damascus. And the Bible says that, that a great light shined upon him and blinded him. And a voice spoke to him. And ladies and gentlemen, from that day forward, his life was never the same. I will tell you, he did not plant. When he left that day and went on the Damascus Highway, he did not have an encounter with God on his calendar. Do you have an encounter with God on your calendar? Now here's Naomi. Naomi is a person who has had her share of glitches. She and Elimelech are in, in uh, Bethlehem. I'm sure that if, we were, if she were here and we were to ask her, what were your plans back when you were in Bethlehem? Well, Elimelech and I were going to grow old, make a family, retire in Bethlehem, enjoy our grandkids, just have a wonderful time around Bethlehem, the Holy Land, you know. But a famine came. A famine came in the land. And, and they had to make a decision. Times got bad. They were desperate. Elimelech says there's not a whole lot of work around Bethlehem, Naomi. And there's no bread because there's no famine. We've got to leave here. And they got up and they left. It was not in their plans. That famine was a glitch that changed everything. And they left and they go to Moab thinking things will be better. You ever had a problem come up in your life and you tried to resolve it by some course of action and you took that course of action thinking it would help things but it did not help things? Because they get to Moab and what happens? Elimelech dies. My goodness, that was not on the calendar. Boys, let's go back home so you can marry some Jewish women. No, we've been eyeing some girls over here in Moab, Mom. They marry Moabite women. That wasn't on Naomi's plan. Then in 10 years, they're, they're, they, don't have, they haven't produced a grandchild yet. I will tell you that was not on Naomi's plan. Now, she may not have wanted them for the first two or three years. She may have been like some of you. I'm not old enough to be a grandparent yet. <laughs> but after a while, she's looking for grandchildren. What happens? They've been married 10 years, and all of a sudden, her boys die. Let me tell you, she is left without any hope. The famine's a glitch. The death of her husband's a glitch. The death of her boys is a glitch. And now she's going back to Bethlehem empty. She's not able to work, and her daughter-in-law Ruth has to take a job that's basically offered through the welfare program of Judea. She's picking the leftovers. But she's in the field of Boaz. And Naomi finds out about it. And Naomi knows, because she's kept the family tree, she has a subscription to Ancestry.com. We're related to that guy. We're related to Boaz. And you know there's this law that says that the nearest relative can take you, Ruth, and y'all can have children for me and Elimelech and my boys. So she has this plan. And she starts working the plan out. Here's, Ruth, here's what you do. You go down at a certain time, you, 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 go, you go visit Boaz. 
Now, she's a woman of noble character. She goes in, she visits Boaz. It looks inappropriate to me. But Boaz says she was a woman of noble character. She's doing what Naomi said to do. And then Boaz says, you know, I'd love to do this. I'm really honored. I didn't think that you even would consider me because I'm an old man and you're a young, beautiful woman. We have a problem. There's somebody who's a nearer relative than me. That's a glitch Naomi didn't count on. We're talking about glitches. You may call them a hiccup. You may call them a hang-up. You may call them an annoyance. I don't care what you call them. You know exactly what I'm talking about. God's plan includes glitches. Real world truth number two, glitches impact the course of our lives. They come unexpectedly. They weren't on our calendar. They force us to pause and wait. It's kind of like when a glitch comes up on a computer and you just have to wait for the computer to figure it out. If the computer can't figure it out, it'll freeze. And then you have to turn the computer off and you have to wait for it to reboot. It's waiting. You want to know one of the disciplines of the Christian life? Here it is. Get ready to wait. Well, I'm praying to God for a new job. Get ready to wait. Well, I'm praying to God for a healing of this disease. Get ready to wait. Well, I'm praying for God to help me get over my divorce. Get ready to wait. I'm praying for my child who has gone out, prodigal son, and he's gone out, and I've been praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. Get ready to wait. I wish it weren't so. I'm not up here to lead you down a path that's not real. Living the Christian life involves glitches that force us to pause and wait. Naomi and Ruth had to wait on Boaz. They had to wait for bread to come back into Bethlehem. Glitches force us to modify our plans. You see, Naomi thought, you know, uh, Ruth, you go, in, you go into uh, Boaz's tent and get to know him. That's going to be pretty much all it takes. No, there's going to be some other things that have to happen. Boaz has got to go make a, a visit to this other kinsman redeemer, and he has the first right. If he decides he's going to take Ruth, then the plan is over. Some things are beyond our control. Glitches force us to evaluate our motives. Think about that other guy. The guy who was the kinsman redeemer, was the closest kinsman redeemer. We don't know his name. Boaz comes up and says, hey, come over here, let me talk to you. Okay, okay. You remember Naomi and Ruth? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, they've come back and their husbands are dead. And you remember that Levi-rate marriage commandment over in Deuteronomy 25? Well, yeah. Well, you know, you're the nearest relative. Is that right? Yeah. You have the right to take on Elimelech and Malan and Killian's property. All that land. Sounds good. I'm going to do it. He said he's going to do it. Boaz is getting nervous. Right about that time that the man says, I will redeem it, Boaz's blood pressure went up a little bit. Now, the text doesn't say that, but I'm telling you, I know. But Boaz is a smart guy. He's, he's already thought this through, and he says, well, he says, if you're going to redeem their property, you also have to take Ruth to be your wife. This man was already married. Now, polygamy was still practiced a little bit there. So it wasn't a problem so much to bring on a different wife, unless, of course, you're the man's wife at home. Now, we don't hear from her, but let me tell you, if you think that man wasn't thinking about his wife at home, 
I got some oceanfront property for you in Dawsonville, Georgia. Well, if that's the case, I can't do that. I can't, that would endanger my own estate. He had children, and he was afraid that if he brought on Ruth, then it would mess up his children's inheritance and his wife's inheritance. You do it. You see, all of a sudden, his motives revealed his behavior. Glitches, that was a glitch for him. Glitches, God uses glitches in our lives. They impact the course of our lives. They reveal the course of our motives. And then real world truth number three. God wants us to trust him through the glitches. You see, glitches test our trust in God. Because we have been, I believe, this is my opinion, we have been misled in Western Christianity to believe that if you just accept Christ, things are going to work out great. Your future is bright, your marriage is bright, your job is bright. We have a whole host of best-selling preachers all across America today who will tell you if you, just, if you just reach out to Jesus and think positive thoughts, yeah, you may have difficulties now, but let me tell you, God wants you to prosper. He wants you to get rich. He wants you to, uh, to, be, uh, to have an abundant life, both financially as well as otherwise. And while you may have troubles now, just wait. The prosperity is on the way. I hate to bust the bubble. Some of you will find prosperity and some of you won't. I have people, not every week, but more frequently than I would like, they will either come by or they will call. Sometimes it's people from uh, previous churches that I've been to, people who I've been good friends with, they'll call me and say, Jimmy, I pray every day. I try, I try to have a devotion with my family. We're in church almost every Sunday. I have never not tithed. I, I, have, I have tried to have a godly home. So why has this happened to me? And the implication is, somewhere in the back of this fellow's mind who called me, this wasn't the way it's supposed to happen to Christians. But ladies and gentlemen, glitches happen to Christians. And glitches will change your life. Glitches will force you to make decisions you didn't plan on making. But let me tell you this, God will allow glitches into our lives in order that we will trust Him through the glitches. And he's trustworthy. When I was a kid one year, I got a jack-in-the-box. Now, that doesn't seem like a, a very big Christmas gift now, but back in the dinosaur years of the 1960s, it was a big deal. I got a jack-in-the-box. And you remember a jack-in-the-box? It's a metal, a metal box. Has a has a, a lid on the top with a little latch on it, and it has a crank on the side. And you crank it, and as you crank it, there's music playing. Usually, it's carnival music, and you play it. And all of a sudden, without warning, the latch opens, the the lid pops up, and this big puppet jumps out, supposedly to scare you. What we don't like in the Christian life is God in the box. We don't like a God in the box. What we would really like is, is we've got God in our little box and there's a lid on the top 
and, and, and we know exactly when the lid's going to open. In fact, we will open it ourselves when we get ready to. That's the kind of God-in-the-box we want. But the problem is we wind through our life and, and surprisingly, unexpectedly, without warning, God pops up. And sometimes he pops up in wonderful, glorious, joyous ways. And a lot of times he pops up as a glitch to test your trust in him. Naomi had a glitch. You and I will experience glitches. The question is, Will we trust our Lord when we experience the glitches? We're about to have an invitation. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to trust God through your glitch. Some of you are going through a glitch right now. You've been praying for it to be older, over and it just won't go away. Some of you have experienced a glitch, and you know for a fact that it won't go away. God has shown you that it is not going to go away. It's going to be something you will live with for the rest of your life. Will you make the commitment to trust God through the glitch? We're about to have an invitation. Somebody here is not a Christian, never received Christ as your personal Savior, and I'm asking you, step out from where you are. Come to this area of prayer right here. You say, well, what am I going to do when I get there? We'll help you. We'll help you pray and invite Jesus into your life. It's a very simple thing. It's not hard at all. It's not embarrassing. But it's very, very important. Will you do that? Somebody here needs to join this church. You're a Christian, but you've never joined the church. Never become a, an official member of a church. No, you don't have to be a member of Palmetto Baptist to go to heaven. But I'll guarantee you that becoming a member officially will be a blessing to your life. And I want to ask you to do that when we stand up here for an invitation. What is it that God wants you to do? What decision is it that he wants you to make? Now's a good time to do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God of the glitch, the God who helps us. Lord, when unexpected problems arise, when things happen that we did not have on our calendars, whether it's a disease or a pink slip or a salary reduction or somebody says something tactless to us and it just crushes our hearts, whatever it may be, Lord, the glitch. Lord, you've told us to expect them. Help us to trust you through them. Lord, I pray for people in this building right now who need to make a decision for Christ. They don't need to worry about going anywhere else. They just need to be concerned about the decision that you're calling upon them to make right now in this altar. Lord, help us to trust you right now to help us make the right decision. In Jesus' name, amen.